Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. On this week's episode, I actually do an interview. I do the interview with Jimmy Song. Um, he wrote the book, Fiat Ruins Everything, which is new. And if you'd like to support his work, uh, please, uh, in the link, in the show notes, there's a link. You can go to his crowdfunding page and uh, please help him out. Uh, support, you know, it takes a lot of work to put these books out. But also, uh, it's going to be a good book because I think we all agree, Fiat Ruins Everything. So I'll let him get into all that, uh, but I want to welcome anyone that's a new listener to the show. Uh, I do interviews occasionally, and I other uh, the other weeks, I just riff on what's going on in the Bitcoin world as a pleb in my observations, uh, which are just a pleb talking to other plebs uh, in this pleb world. And, uh, and then I also talk a little bit about my, my company, Movies Plus, my streaming platform, um, what's going on there and just, you know, different things. I kind of touch on random subjects, whatever comes to mind. Um, so yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this interview. And if you're new to the channel, I hope you uh, enjoy it and, and come back and check out some more episodes. And while you guys are doing all that, you should check out the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. Go to bitbox.swiss slash Bitcoin Made Simple. Use the promo code Bitcoin Made Simple, all one word, to get 5% off your order. And you should do that because uh, if you've been paying attention, your coins on the exchange aren't worth shart. So make sure you get uh, a Bitbox O2 hardware wallet and uh, give a shout out to Bitbox because they deserve it. They built a great, easy to use hardware wallet that's so simple. Even I can use it. Um, and uh, it's 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 really easy. It's like the size of a thumb drive. So, you know, it's it's very easy, simple to use, touch screen, all that good stuff. Um, and also shout out to Movies Plus. Go to mymoviesplus.com. Again, I say it all the time. I am so humbled by how many uh, people have used the promo code Corey because this is the only place that I drop that promo code. Um, so it is amazing to me that uh, so many of you are using it. Um, because so yeah, promo code Corey gets you one year for 24 bucks. So it's $2 a month uh, for a bunch of content. We have exclusive content. We have original content. Then we have other content that uh, we license out. And I hope you guys enjoy all of it and get a chance to watch everything because um, it helps me. We you know support free speech. We support independent film. And, uh, and hopefully we can keep growing this. Uh, to a, to a level where we can have something that takes on the censorship, uh, the censorship, uh, I don't know, regime that uh, is at all the other streamers. So that being said, here's the interview with Jimmy, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Well, Jimmy, thanks for coming on. Uh, it's a shame. I actually had not got a chance to read the book yet, but I definitely will be um, Jimmy's new book, Fiat Ruins Everything. Uh, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Here is the book. And, uh, you know, uh, hopefully you do get a chance to read it. And uh, hopefully you you agree with a lot because I put a lot in there. So it, it should be interesting to anyone that has thought about fiat money and the incentives that it causes. Yeah. Yeah. You're not kidding. I think uh, I think in Bitcoin, it's impossible not to know that uh, fiat ruins everything if you're a Bitcoiner. <laughs> Um, yeah. so, I mean, obviously that's the core thesis of the book. Um, mm -hmm. but, and, you know, like I said, being a Bitcoiner, we all know how we get there. Mm. What, what was it in your life that kind of, you started to see that made you want to write this book? 
Uh, well, I, I have been doing a podcast much like yourself. Bitcoin fixes this for a while now. And I think, uh, the thing that I realized about that, uh, that podcast was that a lot of the problems that Bitcoin fixes aren't necessarily that Bitcoin is this, you know, such an amazing thing that it suddenly cures cancer or something like that. It's just that fiat is so bad <laughs> that it ends up corrupting lots of things. And a move to uh, Bitcoin essentially takes away a lot of the corrupt incentives of fiat money. So it's really just sort of like, you know, imagine if you were eating some sort of poison every day it, and like go on a new diet. It's not that the new diet's so great, I, although it might be, but it, it's just that you stop doing the really bad stuff that was poisoning your body. So of course you're going to feel a lot better. Um, and that that's sort of the framework that I approach this. And a lot of the things really are broken and the incentives that fiat money causes and all, all sorts of things. Uh, it, that That's what I wanted to explore. And I did, and I wrote it. So, you know, go, go get your copy and take a look. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm gonna, you probably haven't been thought about it this much or have been mm -hmm. asked too much about this angle, but my background is in the movie business. So mm. how has fiat, fiat ruined the movies? Mm. Yeah, great Put question. on that. Yeah, so let, let's start with uh, what, what movies actually are. They're, they're more or less entertainment, right? And um, the thing about uh, movie production is that it's gotten way more expensive since, say, 1971. Now, you might argue, you know, it's because of special effects or, you know, actor salaries or, you know, better equipment or things like that. But that's always been the case, right? That you you went from silent movies to talking movies and movies that used color and things like that. There, there was always sort of new technology. The production budgets sort of stayed very high because you you have essentially um uh sort of like almost a monopoly well there there is something called hollywood where there are independent filmmakers but they're they're sort of like gatekeepers to the actual audience right there there's a huge centralizing force um and th this ends up happening in a lot of industries where you get this one winner take all dynamic uh, in, in a lot of places where, uh, you know, be, the bigger you are, the more access to loans you have. And the more access to loans you have, the quicker you can grow. You can scale up very quickly and as essentially crowd out a lot of the smaller guys. That, that's not to say that there aren't like, you know, small budget, you know, independent film hits or whatever. But th those are few and far between compared to the mega blockbusters and stuff. So. What this does, what this does is, when you have you this winner take all dynamic, and you know we we have what like three or four studios now, where there used to be many many more, but there's lots of acquisitions and stuff and consolidation. This is the dynamic of fiat money because the more money you have, the more leverage you have. You can do all sorts of things to crowd out other. Uh, other companies, uh, other smaller competitors, and so on. And Hollywood, uh, like any other um, uh, industry, has used that to great effect to essentially rule over it. And 
you know, what what ends up happening is that the people, the one one or a few winners in, in a particular industry use that um uh that that pricing power or the the access to loans and so on to uh, take advantage, but they also end up being very friendly with regulators, with politicians, and with the uh, with the powers that be. And uh, and as a part of that, they end up um, sort of pushing certain agendas that are beneficial to the government. Uh, now, th this I think was a little bit more obvious now than like say five years ago. You know, there there's a lot of sort of like the DEI agenda and we're we're seeing Disney for example just getting clobbered uh because they're producing movies that the market does not want to see um but you know there there's obviously some sort of uh um relationship between uh you know a large company like Disney and the government and like sort of pushing that and you know that that's more of a leftist bias right now but you know back back in the 50s and so on you know they 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 made movies that made you feel patriotic and support all these wars and stuff so it the, this sort of like uh subtle control that the government has after you become one of the few that's big it, it's it, it kind of ruins the artistic merit of a lot of this stuff because there's sort of like a hidden agenda that a lot of these things get into. Now, I, I I would love to see better movies, but like just in the last twenty years, what's been what's been the thing that you know almost every studio has done? They they do sequels, you know, same same old stuff. They they produce the same things over and over again. I, I was lament lamenting with some Bitcoiners like. You know, like back in the early 2000s, you had like these great movies like The Matrix and Fight Club, like very original, very thought provoking, very interesting movies. And then you just get like 17 versions of Spider-Man. It, it just it's it's gone like artistically. It's not very creative. And part of that is this need to scale and this need to like go with the lowest common denominator. It, it's not really even about the U.S. audience anymore. It's now all global. So you know, you can't have too much dialogue. It has to be like all action and special effects and things like that. So in a sense, the artistry of the movie, movie industry, I think, has gone down significantly because there, there's this huge need uh, to justify these enormous, uh, you know, budget movies. You know, if you had a bunch of $20 million movies instead of like, 200 million dollar movies um you know they you could take more risk there there would be a lot more art out there there'd be a lot more opportunity uh there probably wouldn't uh would be a lot more different kinds of movies maybe different viewpoints and things like that uh but that 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 hasn't been the case and in, in fact it's it's gone very much monolithic and uh, and the centralization that happens as a result of fiat money and the uh, the power that money has over all this stuff, it, it's become rather sad, right? Because uh, we we all want better entertainment. We want want better art. But unfortunately, it's it's sort of degraded in many ways because of uh, the role that money has in all of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, I look at first Disney has destroyed Star Wars. And, <laughs> um, you know, so it's amazing how that if you can have that much money and make a terrible movie, but um, it also goes to show you how, like you said, all the flashy bells and whistles, like 
you can throw those things on and kind of cover like a, you know, polish a turd, basically, you know, just throw <laughs> as much as you can on and, and see how it looks. Um, and another interesting thought, like uh, the you pointed out is how they get cozy with the politicians. You know, the more money you have, the cozier you get because, you know, Mickey Mouse is supposed to be out of copyright uh, a long, <laughs> long time ago. So if anyone doesn't know that story, that that copyright uh, got extended and extended and extended now in perpetuity, basically. Um, so where else do you see, you know, fiat creeping in? Like, I know a lot of people talk about architecture. Is that something mm -hmm. that you get into in the book? Yeah, I, I mean, the fiat reality of real estate, I think, is a whole chapter on that. And uh, just to uh, back up a little bit, the entire uh, chapter on art, uh, it's more about modern art, but but really it could apply to movies and lots of other things. So I, I do address both of these things in, mm -hmm. to some degree in the book. Uh, but re with regard to architecture, like think, think about housing and how much how much fiat subsidization has been there, uh, you know, uh, uh, the government makes it very, um, uh, you know, prioritizes housing. So what you get are lots of loans that are available for housing. And if you don't know how loans work, most people think it's off of somebody's savings that you're getting access to somebody's savings and the bank makes a spread between the arbitrage between the mortgage rate and the savings rate or something like that. That's, that's, that is definitely not how it works. Uh, under fiat money, when you get a mortgage, that money is printed on your behalf, right? Like as a loan, it, it enters the economy. This is this is how it works, um, and it's also why housing has become enormously expensive now, because of the subsidization of housing through mortgages. Uh, what what you get are uh, sort of like an artificially high demand for housing, and uh, a lot of people are more willing to go buy and because they have access to loans, they're able to uh, essentially get much more housing than they can afford through savings. So most people put 20% down or less, which essentially means that you're getting 5x leverage on your money. And you know, you're, you're essentially gambling on the house uh, that, that it'll continue to go up in, uh, in price, which of course is not guaranteed. And we'll see how that affects things uh, in the near future. But what, what you get are uh, terrible incentives as a result of that. So builders um, know that there will be demand for housing regardless of how beautiful they make it. And their, their priority is to get the building up as quickly as possible. So you get architecture that is very cookie cutter, very, um, very much... Okay, let's get something that will uh, you know, be the minimally um minimal thing that will sell instead of people that are actually building homes for themselves you get sort of a third party that's building things uh you generally get much more beautiful architecture when you're building it yourself right because you want things to be what you want instead like you have this and... <laughs> yeah 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 and I, even now like you know custom homes are way more beautiful than like sort of the generic homes that builders build because you know the way the mortgage market works once once the house exists then then you can get a loan on it to get like a building loan on it is not easy and you know the the same programs that you get for a mortgage you know the, those don't apply so you get a lot of sort of uh perverse incentives as a res result of fiat money 
uh, that first make it way more expensive and make it so that it's a third party creating a house and then it belongs to the bank and then they sell it to you essentially some some combination of that rather than you know people building homes that they like um that that's generally when you get to see beautiful architecture like we did like a couple hundred years ago um yeah, I mean, there, there are lots of other things as well. There's a lot of high time preference behavior in housing selection as well. Most most houses aren't built to last more than 30 years. Um, I know in my neighborhood, a lot of houses are, you know, being uh, demolished to make way for newer housing and so on. Uh, not to say that that's necessarily bad since they were kind of built shoddily in the first place. But that that's that's kind of the mentality that a lot of people have. It's not about building to last it's it's building to sort of quickly turn around and make a profit yeah that um when me and my wife were were house hunting that was mm. like nothing made us cringe more than when we went into a neighborhood that was like i kept telling her i said it's just like a fiat neighborhood like, <laughs> where you know it's like everybody had like doot, 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 every little you know plot of land and every mm -hmm. you know it was like type a b and c house and it was just like there's mm -hmm. type a b c then a b c a b c and it was like ugh. um yeah so we thank god we lucked out and found like a nice farmhouse and just <laughs> you know do did that instead but um but yeah it, it is amazing how um you know i feel like it even affects like the fast food industry like we know the mm -hmm. food obviously and i'll get into that in a little bit but but uh like it there was a McDonald's near us. I mean, mm. like 20, so 25 minutes from us. It's the closest one to me. <laughs> and, and, um, and we drive past it and it was, you know, perfectly fine the one day. And then like the next day we drive by and it's all rubble. And I was like, did something go through? Like I live in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Like there's not tornadoes. There's not hurricanes. Mm -hmm. What happened? Um, and they just remodeled it to like the new like lame McDonald's, you know, that like, it's like a mm -hmm. shoebox, and mm -hmm. like has no individual characteristics that look, you know, like beautiful or anything. But the other amazing part was they did it in like uh, 30 days. Mm -hmm. Like they just destroyed an entire building <laughs> and built a new one. And mm -hmm. I said to my wife, I was like, that thing couldn't, you know, handle like a strong windstorm, <laughs> you know, and like, that's probably how most of these Fiat builders do it. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't doubt that. And, you know, this is in sharp contrast to something like a cathedral, which took like over 100 years to build. And, you know, it was like a labor of love. This is this is entirely functional. Uh, and, you know, you you knock it down and build it up fast. Now, that's not to say that because it was built quickly, it's necessarily shoddy or anything. But it, it does sort of like um, show that it, it's not architecture that's meant to be there very long. Uh, if if they crush the previous one, it's not going to be there another, you know, past like 50 years at the most and probably a lot less than that. And in a sense, this is possible because, you know, they the, the land isn't like something that somebody is trying to make into a beautiful site or anything like that. It's a... Uh, it's part of a corporation and for them it's a it's a very straightforward calculation like can we make more money by doing this or more likely they they have access to these 
quick loans uh, or, you know, these large loans to finance uh, the, you know, the building of this new one. Uh, you know, if they had to do it out of savings, right, if they had to save up to build something, I, I'm sure they would have, first of all, like, wanted something that lasted longer and was built with better stuff. This is just how we behave when we have to save up for something. But if you're bringing consumption forward through debt, then you're going to just want things like whatever, because you, you, you're you focused on paying that debt back very quickly. So, you know, whatever costs the least, and it, it, it ends up being very kind of shoddy. And you know, uh, I, I don't doubt that that's probably the experience of a lot of architecture here, but not just architecture, lots of other things. Um, you know, bringing consumption forward, people like that are generally high time preference. So they're not necessarily that concerned about quality. But if, if you're saving, then you do care about quality and you do want things to last and you want value for your money. And this is this is a difference between debt and savings is that you demand more from savings because you worked harder for it yeah yeah exactly and you know you want some uh thing speaking of things that don't you know aren't built to last in somebody that doesn't save money would be the government and mm. uh i like my grandfather would be so proud of me my dad said because i was complaining about construction and i was like it's just you know like a money laundering scheme like, <laughs> that's what it is because it's like every six years you know if you look in you know, old there's old villages around the world where I don't know if you ever saw how they built it, but like they dug down six feet mm -hmm. and did multiple layers and built this road and the road still works today. You know, and mm -hmm. it was built before Jesus was born. So, like, mm -hmm. you know, there that and then you look, you know, around, you know, the United States where it's like every five years the road gets like stripped down. They put like, you know, oil chips down and they're mm -hmm. like, oh, we're doing it again. Sorry, you have to sit in construction. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, you know, talk about that a little bit. The the fat cat that is, I guess, the government mm. is kind of the opposite. I, I assume you talk about them a little bit in the fiat ruins everything. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a whole chapter on nation states and the incentives at the nation state level. And like you said, the, the incentives for a government are very different. Um, and you know, uh, by the way, the book is organized sort of like at different layers, right? Like, uh, so at the individual level, you have different incentives as a result of fiat money. At the company level, you have different incentives because of fiat money. At the nation state level, you also have different incentives as a result of fiat money. And at the global level, everyone has different incentives because we live under a dollar hegemony and, you know, basically have to satisfy the US. So to get back to the nation state level, uh, what what uh, what governments uh, generally want more than anything else is to stay in power, right? Like if, if you're ruling over some people, the your pri first priority is staying in power, and uh, you know that that generally means satisfying your constituents and things like that, and you know not not necessarily about justice or anything, but uh, but you know just making sure enough people are satisfied so they keep you in power, and especially in a democracy or some sort of representational democracy or some sort of voting, uh, you, you, you have to sort of satisfy their stuff, but you don't necessarily want to spend a lot of money doing that, right? Like you, you want to spend as little as possible, um, or you, you want to do it in a, you're, you're not necessarily going to do it in a way that lasts. I mean, you might spend a lot of money, but it's just, let's, let's get them on our side. Um, 
and that that ends up you know uh with shoddier construction and all kinds of stuff but more importantly uh for on the perspective of government you know they they spend a lot more money and time and things on a police state right uh you want you want to make sure that you root out any um threats to your rule uh a lot of military if if it's an external um entity that's going to come in take take you over then you, you you need to repel against that so that's what you spend money on rather than say you know some something that's actually going on in your own country that might actually benefit it uh and, and things like that so you you get a lot of really perverse incentives at the nation level because you have this ability to do some backdoor implicit taxation through inflation uh and you know uh they they spend uh, a lot of money in a very inefficient way usually because there's all sorts of grift and rent seeking that happens in that spending so you know you're you're talking about like all the roads and construction and stuff that happens in the US and how long they take and how how they're really kind of grifts um and they are because uh you know the the way the bidding system works and uh you know how all of that is measured and all the different political considerations they're they're not necessarily thinking about cost it's a, it's way more about okay how do we make sure that we get the right votes and stuff and how do we put regulations in so that you know it feels fair to people and it's it's not about the road it's a, it's it's all about okay how do we get the most political points out of this and unfortunately that that this is why the government doesn't do a great job on almost anything because they're not trying to satisfy the market per se they're trying to satisfy uh, satisfy themselves in terms of political needs and so and stuff like that yeah um wanted to talk about uh food a little bit too mm -hmm. um and i feel like i feel like the perverse you keep saying you know the perverse incentives um and I'm just sitting here thinking about you talking about the government regulations, and then we look at our food. Mm. Um, do you talk about that in the book? Not too much. I feel like uh, safety definitely, uh, you know, explore that quite a bit <laughs> in fiat standard and stuff. But uh, but I I do think like the same dynamic applies. The the thing that we talked about earlier with movie studios and like the few companies that sort of control everything it's definitely true of food as well you you have what like five uh big ad companies or something like that that control everything um the the actual subtle thing at play is that when you when you have uh access to loans when you have access to you know, extra money that everybody else doesn't. And if you're a big company, you certainly have that, that small companies don't. Uh, the thing that it, it lets you do is scale like crazy. Uh, so you can get really, really big and you can get a lot of the economies of scale with, by which means you can sort of underprice everybody. Uh, but the economies of scale only take you so far. And particularly in food, what what you need to do to underprice everyone is use different ingredients and uh what what a lot of these large you know large food companies have done is bring in a lot of ingredients that are insanely cheap uh a lot of carbs are really cheap sugar is insanely cheap grains things like that are really cheap uh and and substitute for the things that are more expensive you know um 
you know, meat, <laughs> you know, nutritional food, you know, uh, thing, things that are not grown in, uh, you know, factory farms and so on. Uh, they, they've essentially, uh, you know, made food really, really cheap to underprice everybody because, you know, not, not only are you getting rid of competition, but you can hide the inflation by degrading the food. So, you know, in any fiat economy, uh, you have, you have the choice of raising prices or debasing your product and people don't like higher prices. Uh, and you know, it, it might be a while before they recognize that your food product or whatever product that you have is debased. So most manufacturers go down that route of debasing the product itself. And that's, definitely happened with food over the last 60 years uh you know i mean similar thing with almost everything else actually yeah but this this is the dynamic that we get uh so you know the the thing is like uh, with nutritional food we we probably should be paying at least double uh to get the same amount of uh or get better quality food uh that you know people 60 years ago got uh but you know because of inflation, because of money printing, because of all of the weird incentives that come as a result of fiat money, uh, you know, we've just sort of taken it for granted that it's okay to debase our food, in, uh, uh, you know, instead of, you know, uh, spending more money on it. And that's, that's unfortunately, uh, gone to the detriment of American health. Uh, you know, we see the obesity epidemic, you know, like there's way more sugar in all kinds of foods um, than there were, you know, 60 years ago and so on. And th this has, you know, uh, led to uh, way more dependency on the healthcare system. And, you know, I, uh, my friend Joel Salatin likes to say that you can either spend more money on food or you can spend more money on healthcare because that that's what it ends up being. And uh, we've, we've chosen to spend way more money on healthcare uh, instead of food. And what you get is uh, an entire healthcare industrial complex, which is another whole um, thing where, you know, a few companies end up taking over. You have what, like six major six insurance major companies. Yeah. 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 And like the, and, and they dictate the price of everything. You know, they, this is, this is the, uh, this is what Fiat does is it centralizes a lot of stuff the production of uh, or the provision of any good or service ends up in the hands of a few people that can dictate everything. Uh, and, you know, we, we get worse outcomes as a result of this sort of almost monopoly-ish, uh, uh, you know, uh, stand that they have in the system. Uh, I, I like to say that, you know, when, when you have fiat money, you, you trend towards socialism because it becomes centralized and, there, there's way more regulation and, you know, whether, whether, you know, it seems like a free market or not, the, the incentives and in, inevitably lead towards a more socialist system. And unfortunately, a lot of people are kind of okay with that. Uh, a significant percentage of the population doesn't really kind of understand what the, the incentives at play. So they're okay with it, or, you know, they, they've been deceived into thinking that, you know, it's, it's all for humanity's good or whatever, but really you're just debasing everything, civilization along with the money. Yeah. You know, the longer I've been into Bitcoin now, the more I think, like, I don't, I don't know how long this can last, you know, like I think in 300 years, they're looking back at this 
era of money and they're going to go, whoa, like that thing was a, a freight train, you know, going towards a cliff that nobody had brakes for. I mean, there are no brakes. If anything, it's just an, an accelerant. You know, right now they're trying to, the Fed's trying to put pump the brakes. That's all they're doing is pumping the brakes <laughs> and it's basically wrecking the economy. Um, it, what about, uh, so full disclosure, because I mean, my audience knows I'm, uh, I talk about, you know, a good amount, but I'm a Catholic. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, I see the the cross on your shirt there. Um, <laughs> and there you go. <laughs> I had to think, uh, you know, did you put anything in there about how fiat um, affects religion? Because I'll be completely honest, like I tell people all the time, I say, I'm Catholic, but I also am like looking at the Vatican and all the mm-hmm. gold and the, you know, the border, like the, the border wall around the city. And I'm like, you know, that I'm pretty sure would be the exact opposite of what Jesus wanted. Just mm-hmm. my opinion, like it mm-hmm. seemed like he was more for the poor and more for, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, helping others and not for cre- raising walls. So, so I, I do look at it and go, I see fiat affecting religion too. And it's not just mm-hmm. Christianity. It's, it's, mm-hmm. I'm sure every religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do cover it in thank God for Bitcoin, uh, but, but not, not so much in this book. Although I, I did want to write that chapter. It's just, I had so many thoughts on it and how uh how the church has become way more consumerist right so what what you find with any anything where fiat you get some sort of fiat infection is, is that uh because of the primacy of money um you you end up with uh you know like churches almost become businesses right like they they become sort of like like an enterprise in some way. And this is, of course, completely against the spirit of Christianity, at at least, right? Like uh, Jesus said, you can serve God or money, you can't serve both. Yet that that is exactly what a lot of churches end up doing because they take out loans uh, to, you know, build their churches or something like, uh, like that and, you know, bring consumption forward and, they end up servicing debt and think about what those words mean. They service debt. They are worshiping money, right? Like that, that is exactly the opposite of what Jesus said. And that, that, uh, that leads to a lot of subtle things, right? Like it, it used to be at least, you know, uh, in the sound money era and stuff, you, you'd get a lot of, uh, sermons from the pulpit that were about, you know, like, this is what you should do. And, you know, like, here, here, here are the ways in which you're sinning, you need to go re- repent and, you know, change your ways and stuff like that. You, you even, you know, even reading Jesus's sermons, right, and Matthew or something like that, you, you see, okay, like, if you're doing this, you're doing something wrong, and <laughs> you, you need to change. Like, that sort of message is not that often heard from pulpits. And the reason is because, Again, churches have become more like businesses. If you don't get enough butts and seats and you can't pay off your loan and the money, uh, uh, you know, or you can't pay your staff, the professional clergy and stuff. So you you end up uh, having messages that instead of being what Jesus would have taught, it, it's to get more butts and seats. It's to get more people to come to the church. It's to get more tithes and offerings 
and that that it's it's become money has become sort of like the primary uh thing that that a lot of churches go after so you know i i, I was uh talking in my bible study about like uh you know the spiritual gift stuff i i'm not sure how prevalent that is in the catholic world but at least in the protestant world this is like a major thing like what spiritual gift do you have right and uh, mm-hmm. let's let's figure that out and that that's like such a consumerist mentality right like let's figure out what you know what what gift you have and let's talk all about you and make it all about you and you know see uh, indulge in your narcissism this is a exact opposite of what jesus preaches it was about thinking about other people and loving <laughs> loving others instead it's like oh we're gonna make this sermon all about you and you know we're we're gonna we're gonna make it all about you know what what you're going to be able to do and let's uh examine you know your personality and stuff it's not it's not about obedience to god it's about oh what what things do you think you might be able to do that might be good for the church or something that uh, that you might want to do it, it's become very consumerist and i think it 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 you know, heavily detracts from the gospel message and it, it detracts from genuine faith and real religion in many, many ways. And it's unfortunate that it's gotten to this point, but fiat money has like definitely penetrated the church in a way that I I, I think like a lot of people are just completely blind to. They they don't really understand what, what's going on. Uh, I mean, I, I know a few pastors that that have sort of lament, lamented this. It's like, well, you know, I this is what I want to preach, but I can't because the elders will get mad at me because, you know, this will piss off a bunch of people. But this is the truth. This is what, you know, Jesus pissed off a lot of people. That's okay. <laughs> That's a part of part of uh, saying the truth is that the the people that believe lies will get mad at you. But, you know, instead you get sort of like this very soft, like fiat political Christianity, which is let's make everyone happy and we all love each other and blah, blah, blah. And it's all about getting, making people feel good so they can come to our church and give us ties. It's not, it's not about, you know, salvation or your eternal life or the obedience to God. It, it becomes something else. So I, I think that's definitely been an infection. Um, and I, I do want to write all this down at some point and, you know, put it into, I don't know, maybe like an addendum to a book if I do like a second edition or something like that. And it, uh, unfortunately, like it's it's just such a close topic for me, so personal <laughs> that yep. it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's, uh, I, I have to step back a little bit almost to be able to write it and, uh, and, and put it in. Yeah. Yeah. I completely understand that. I mean, you know, <laughs> I think, well, first of all, saying that fiat infects things is a great mm. analogy. Um, but, uh, you know, the uncomfortable truths when you're talking about like confronting truth and like, that's something that Jesus did. I feel like that's also what fiat does is it helps you avoid the uncomfortable truth mm-hmm. like i can't afford this i shouldn't mm-hmm. buy that um and you know to me like reckoning like bit the bitcoin reckoning for me over the years has been like you know i think not everybody goes through this process but you face those un- uh, like uncomfortable truths of like I, I can't afford all these things i've been buying you know mm-hmm. like the last car i bought before i became a bitcoiner you know, I'm just like, oh my God, what was I doing? You know, I'd, I'd, I'd give anything to go back and just buy some old car, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so 
you know, but that's part of our lesson and how we get here. Um, before, well, let, uh, let me let me yeah, let me yeah, uh, uh, like riff on that a little bit because uh, what what fiat money and what uh, what debt specifically allows you to do is to suspend reality for a while, right? If you bring consumption forward, you think you're more prosperous than you are, but really you're enslaving yourself for later. And th this is the exact opposite of the natural way of doing things, which is to save, 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 and then you get rewarded for saving. You, you get to spend what you saved up for. And this is sort of like the way, uh, you know, it's supposed to be. And uh, you know, we, you read about that all over the Bible about sowing and reaping. You you reap what you sow. You you put in some amount of work into something, and you get rewarded for it. That is a complete reversal of that. And fiat money specifically makes that like completely ubiquitous, and allows you to um, to bring consumption forward in a way that suspends reality for the duration of that debt. And it enslaves you during that time, right? Like you can suspend reality for a little bit, and that's uh, that that may be it may seem fine for a little while. But you know, as, so, as soon as the bill comes due and you're you're enslaved for that, you you end up with all kinds of things breaking, and that's kind of the situation we're in now because the Fed is raising rates, and when when uh, when you have rising interest rates, what what ends up happening is that. Fewer loans are going out. In fact, we're we're in the midst of a monetary contraction. All the all these bills are coming due, and if you're if these bills are coming due, then uh, what's essentially happening is reality is <laughs> slapping back. Right? We're 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 getting to see just how much uh, you know we we've uh, you know sort of kicked the can down the road and we're we're finally having to uh face it not just at the individual level i mean you're talking about a car that you couldn't afford that you you uh you know where you brought consumption forward it's not just at the individual level companies did this right like they yeah. took out huge loans to expand facilities and and things like that i, I mean a lot of these companies haven't like ever made a profit and they they they're still worth billions of dollars according to uh you know the stock market and so on and uh, you know their bills are coming due uh governments right like a lot of state and uh federal governments you know they they spent money that they didn't have they brought some consumption forward they they built stuff that they couldn't afford and so on and all of all of that just sort of like starts breaking and uh and honestly a lot of what we've been seeing the last year or so where, you know, like there's this sort of consumer backlash against a lot of these companies and so on. This is the bill coming due. The, the, mm -hmm. This is this is reality slapping back. We we don't want to watch movies that are just sort of like have an agenda and stuff like that. Uh, as you get more away from fiat and monetary contraction uh, is definitely like the opposite of what happened the last like 60 years. As you get away from that, you 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 get closer to reality. The suspension of reality is starting to end, and that and you get uh, a lot more real stuff coming out. And turns out, a lot of these businesses were completely unsustainable. Never never had a profit at all, and a lot of people's uh, you know spending habits were completely off the rails and not based in reality. And they're the, you know, everyone's going to have to kind of learn a lesson and, but, or, you know, they can start printing again and bail all of these people out, in which case they will continue 
the you know terrible habits of bringing consumption forward and thinking that the enslavement in the future wouldn't be so bad instead of the Bitcoin way of doing things, which is saving and then reaping what you sow. Yeah. <laughs> I would like a million thoughts while you're so that was like, uh -huh. like, oh yeah, that like, it's like, I'm hitting all these things. Like, yeah, that, that points to that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, where you're just the enslavement. Um, and it, I think, I just think that's why, you know, everybody that looks like, oh, Bitcoin standard, well, it'll be this, you know, like, you know, sunshine and rainbows and unicorns and everything's gonna be perfect. And I, I'm like, I don't know, I think it's gonna be an ugly transition because, hmm. um, you know, what's the old saying, when the water tide goes out, you know, we'll see who's swimming naked. And like, you know, you mentioned the one like these companies building things, my brother works um, for a bank, like one of the biggest banks in the country. And they built two skyscrapers in Pittsburgh. And this, they like finished them in like 2018. And then COVID happened and he now works from home and nobody's in the office and they're doing, you know, lots of offices are doing this. Like come back to the office, come back to the office. But he specifically, he lives in Pittsburgh. The rest of his team is like one's in Denver, one's in Cleveland, one's in like Georgia, you know, and it's like, there's literally no, like he would be doing the same thing from home. Mm-hmm that he would do from his desk at the office, but they're just trying to, in my mind, justify that expense because that was money they didn't have. <laughs> they, you know, that bill, that's a loan that they took out, you know, to build well, they're, they're trying to increase the occupancy. So there's more, uh, you know, they fill up some of the demand and hopefully, or fill up some of the supply so that, you know, they can sell whatever, uh, you know, inventory that they have uh, at a little bit of a higher price. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, the, this sort of like stuff happens all the time where, you know, if you finance the building of something, well, then, you know, and you don't, uh, you can't pay off the debt, then, you know, you, you go bankrupt. And it's that that's, uh, you know, there, there's actually like a, an index called like the world's tallest skyscraper index or something like that. It mm -hmm. turns out that, in every boom time, somebody starts building like the world's uh, tallest skyscraper. And by the time the project gets going, you usually get into a recession. And <laughs> those buildings almost always have trouble finishing, which is uh, an interesting phenomenon. It sounds like, uh, you know, your your brother's, uh, you know, skyscrapers are similar to that. But, but this is a problem with uh, sort of building on debt or financing and stuff like that. You don't, you know, it, it's not you're it's not money that you saved up so you're you're not very careful with it and you're you're much more speculative about it and you end up wasting lots and lots of capital um you know like these two skyscrapers probably weren't needed and if uh, if they had a chance or if they had to build out a savings they would have probably built something more modest that they knew they could fill up very quickly or got commitments for beforehand Instead, instead they did this. Oh, let's just build it and see what happens. And in a sense, they they were playing with house money anyway, since the financing that they got to go build the building came out of nothing. It it was literally mm -hmm. money printed on their behalf. And this this you know they they were able to suspend reality a little bit, but then reality slapped right back. Right, like all all of these 
you know, uh, people aren't coming into work and, uh, you know, this building might eventually get full occupancy, but it's going to take many, many more years and you're not going to make the money back. Somebody's going to go bankrupt and it's a, it's a waste of enormous amounts of capital. And, you know, like just, just to sort of, um, talk a little bit more about reality slapping back. One of the things I'm noticing during this particular, um, you know, the last couple, uh, last year or so, is that manual labor is kind of getting a lot more respect, right? Like in, in terms of money and stuff. You just saw, for example, the UPS drivers were able to negotiate something like $170,000 a year. And mm -hmm. I think they deserve every penny because in a sense, they really are providing value, right? Like they're transporting stuff. They actually whereas work like hard. <laughs> yeah, whereas like the typical rent seeker, the guy with an email job in the office, it is not at all clear what, what they are uh, contributing. And those salaries are going down. You have like enormous layoffs in Twitter and like, you know, these tech companies, a lot Disney of Disney laid off a ton of people. Yeah, and, and uh, it's because they're, in a sense, they, they were rent seeking. And- you know, as you get more towards reality, the, the people that actually contribute stuff get more uh, a larger share of the money, I think. And the monetary tightening means that, you know, there's less room for the rent seekers. So rent seekers are sort of the first people cut. And that that that's what we're seeing. The people that do the work get more rewarded. And the people that weren't doing the work, well, they're they're getting cut. You get more rationality. You can't just rent seek forever and ever, which is what, you know, essentially the promise of fiat money. Uh, you're you're getting, you know, people that, you know, if you're if you're a welder, if you're like a garbage truck driver, times are pretty good for you right now, right? Like mm -hmm. you're you're able to make a lot more money than, you know. I don't know, a uh, marketing uh, associate at like a large tech company or something like that. You you probably got laid off if you're a social media manager for a newspaper. Or something. You know, like definitely got laid off if you did any of that stuff. The people that actually do stuff that's of value, they're they're doing pretty well. And this is the sort of like reality slapping back it it's it, it it the money flows towards the people that are actually providing value rather than the people that are rent seeking which is like exactly what we want in a bitcoin world because i mean mm. the only way in a bitcoin standard world is to get more bitcoin is to provide value to someone mm. um nobody yeah. is gonna just sit there and give you you know you know 10 percent of a bitcoin a month to you know <laughs> to live they're just not gonna do it um well before i let you go um i also wanted to you know this isn't completely book related but given that we're like i think we're just on the verge of a massive bubble again and that's mm -hmm. what caused i mean not that's not what caused satoshi to come out but coincided with satoshi releasing bitcoin as a core bitcoiner mm -hmm. that's a better way to look at it because you look mm -hmm. at satoshi as a core bitcoiner from the beginning mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. you know how do you view the health of Bitcoin as we get into the a recession that I think will be worse potentially than 2008? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, I, I, the way I see it, first, first of all, like a lot, there are a lot of Bitcoin developers and they are all over the political and economic map. There, there are like full-blown socialists in there. There are, you know, anarcho-capitalists in there. There are mm -hmm. people that are super liberal in there. There are people that are, you know, very conservative in there. There, there's 
it it's it's a wide spectrum. So there's no one opinion, right? It's it's a decentralized contribution system, and they're going to have lots and lots of different uh, opinions. So I'll only speak for myself. Mm. Uh, what 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 do I think is happening with all of this stuff? Well, I mean, they're they're tightening. They're um, you know trying to press monetary levers because you know there there were signs that a lot of things stuff was breaking and they they continue to break uh we we've seen prices just go up like crazy we saw a lot of systematic fragility with the supply chain stuff we're we're seeing a lot of that and the cracks are beginning to show i mean how far does this go well i, I in a sense i expect it to go further a lot more stuff is going to break before I don't know. They reverse course. I I think Jerome Powell said that they're raised. Uh, they're um, uh, you know, ready to raise rates further, right? Like break things even more because inflation really isn't slowing down. And you know, uh, according to Lynn Alden, you know, we we might get, you know, even if you keep raising rates, you you still might get stagflation or, or and higher inflation and things like that. There there's just so many things that are just so fragile right now that that you might get something like that. Personally, I think uh, Bitcoin is sort of by that black backstop, and that's the hope that a lot of Bitcoiners have is as things break, um, the degree of breaking is sort of backstopped by uh, by Bitcoin. And uh, what I mean by that is that if, if you look at any sort of like hyperinflating economy, um, so Argentina and Lebanon are two countries that are visited in the last year, they're both going through something like hyperinflation. And what you're seeing is that the dollar becomes sort of the standard, it becomes sort of the backstop for a lot of these economies. So as as bad as things could be, the it's and as bad as things are, there it's somewhat limited in. Uh, the damage it can inflict because there is sort of an outside currency that people end up using. So, you know, somewhere like Venezuela, it's where it's harder to get dollars. Uh, you know, it, it gets much worse, uh, you know, because people don't have dollars to trade and you're you're forced to use this hyperinflating uh, currency. Um, somewhere like Lebanon, where, you know, you could get dollars out of an ATM, that, that makes a big difference because, the Lebanese government can't keep printing and get any get that much benefit out of it. In fact, the the benefit they get out of uh, additional printing tends to get limited as as they print more and more, and more of this backstop happens. And I think that's that's what ultimately happens with the U.S. dollar. As things get worse, you know, this alternative system, it ends up being the backstop as you get hyperinflation and things like that. You have this alternative and that alternative ends up becoming the thing that uh, that that changes uh, the trajectory. Instead of continuing to fall, you get a softer landing because you have this sound money that's available uh, to to trade and uh, and save it. And so a lot of capital is preserved. A lot of um, civilization, honestly, is preserved, and you get a different set of incentives that uh, that that emerge as a result of the lack of fiat money. And um, you know, honestly, that's a, that's a lot of what the book is about. It's like, okay, well, how does all of this change under a Bitcoin standard? 
well, a, a lot of it changes because the incentives are different. And once the incentives are different, well, and you don't have this free money spigot, um, you know, controlled by a few people and every industry controlled by a few companies and so on, you get you get a lot more diversity of uh, you know approaches and lots of different kinds of goods and services, a lot more entrepreneurship. You get you get more experimentation, and uh, you know the best stuff emerges from the market, and you get prosperity. And I think that's ultimately what will be uh, happening, um, even as things get worse from the dollar. I think things get better with Bitcoin. And uh, thank God for Bitcoin, right? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, we tell people where can they support you and and uh, get a copy of this book. Yeah, so uh, you can. Uh, I'm right now doing a crowdfund for Fiat Ruins Everything, um, and uh, and you can go to fiatruinseverything.com to support me in the crowdfund. But if you just want the book right now, you can go to Amazon and search up Fiat Ruins Everything. It's available for sale. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I would obviously appreciate it if you participated in the crowdfund to defray some of the costs of writing this book. Awesome. Well, everybody support Jimmy and the good work that he's doing because we need more people like that. Jimmy, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Jimmy for joining me on the show. And thanks to all of you for listening. And thanks to the Bitbox O2 Hardware Wallet for sponsoring the show. Go get one at bitbox.swiss slash Bitcoin Made Simple. Bitcoin made simple. Use that promo code and you'll get 5% off. I will talk to you guys later.